infinite spirit of life, we ask thy blessing on these, thy messengers of fellowship and love. May they remind us, amid diversities of knowledge and of gifts, to be one in desire and affection and devotion to thy holy will. May they also remind us of the value of comradeship, of doing and sharing alike. May we cherish friendship as one of thy most precious gifts. May we not let awareness of another's talents discourage us or sully our relationships. But may we realize that whatever we can do, great or small, the efforts of all of us are needed to do thy work in this world. So again, happy Flower Communion Sunday. And I'm going to start with kind of a criticism. In fact, one of the few recurrent and arguably valid criticisms of Unitarian Universalism as a faith is that we have too few of our own traditions, that we borrow too heavily from other religions when it comes to establishing our worship and our spiritual practice. And it is easy to point to the many things we may have appropriated or stolen from the wisdom of the cultures and faiths who have come before us. We often use Christian music, or at least Christian melodies with UU words with worship. We do come from a biblical tradition which both, uh, upheld both the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament as sacred literature, and we, we often, often look to this lengthy, albeit specific, source for inspiration. We make our own definitions up for terms as basic as faith, divinity, and salvation. We celebrate Easter and Yom Kippur, the equinoxes and solstice and Earth Day. We hold Tai Chi classes in our religious education space and teach world religions to our students and adults alike. Yes, so in one sense, there is very little unique about our faith or our services, except, except a few key differences and then an even smaller number of rituals. So first of all, what makes us unique is we don't ask anyone to leave their confidence or their experience or their identity at the door. Unlike many, if not most, world religions, we uphold the individual's right of both morality and learning above the teachings of this or any institution. Second, we insist that the only way we each come to a better understanding of the truth is through relationship with and among each other. That through this dialogue, which both challenges and informs, questions and affirms our understanding of the world and ourselves, this dialogue is essential not only to our lives, but to our faith. And finally, what sets us apart, for lack of a better term, theologically, 
is that we believe in no uncertain terms that we are each special, each deserving of love, and each responsible to serving the cause of love in the here and now, period. But it is true that within our liminal space, that worship time in between the world of the mundane and the sacred, that space we try to create through our intention and presence here on Sunday mornings, many of the vehicles we use come from other non-Unitarian Universalist traditions. Many, but not all. We participate in one uniquely Unitarian Universalist tradition every Sunday, and we participate in another today. Anyone want to guess what the first one is? A chalice, of course. The lighting and the extinguishing of a chalice to mark our sacred time with one another is something uniquely ours. This was developed during the Second World War. The chalice became the symbol, the the logo, the icon of the Unitarian Service Committee, which, led by ministry couple Waitstill and Martha Sharp, helped hundreds of refugees, including dozens and dozens of Jewish children, escape Europe uh, from the encroaching Nazism that would lead to the Holocaust. The image of the flaming chalice was used on their official documents, which often were not official at all, but rather elaborate forgeries of passports and visas and embassy communiques that convinced guards at border crossings to let the Sharps and their compatriots pass. It wasn't until after the war that the flaming chalice symbol turned into the flaming chalice ritual that we use to frame our worship. Starting organically in a handful of Unitarian congregations, now virtually all Unitarian Universalist worship services involve the chalice in some form at some point. So too is the case with our second uniquely Unitarian Universalist ritual that we celebrate today. Now in the period in between the two world wars, uh, Prague, in Czechoslovakia at the time, which is now, of course, the Czech Republic, Prague was a cosmopolitan city. It featured colleges and universities, opera houses and dance halls. Prague is bustling and engaging even now, but some would argue that its heyday was that second quarter of the 20th century. The Reverend Norbert Chopik led a Unitarian church in Prague, which eventually grew to become the largest Unitarian congregation ever assembled, before or since. Progressive, inclusive, and committed to justice, the Unitarians in Prague were some of the first to condemn the German aggressions that would eventually lead to the Holocaust. And unfortunately, many, including Reverend Tropic himself, would suffer greatly under the Nazi occupation of Prague that ensued. The story of the flower communion uh, is actually a very simple one. The humanist-leaning Unitarian congregation of Prague was an intentionally austere structure. No bell tower, no stained glass windows, not even an organ or any musical instrument. Chopic's services consisted of simple readings and a long and academic sermon. 
no prayers, no music, no meditation. Worship stripped to its essence. But something, something was missing. Springtime came to the city of Prague and Nova Tropic went out for a stroll. The rains had come, the birds were singing, the flowers were blooming all over the land. It was, it was beautiful. Then an idea struck him. It was simple, plain, but beautiful. The next Sunday he asked all the people in the church to bring a flower or a budding branch or even a twig. Each person was to bring one. What kind, they asked. What color, what size? You choose. You choose, he said. Each of you choose what you like. And so on the next Sunday, which was uh, the first Sunday of June in 1923, the people came with flowers of all different colors and sizes and kinds. There were yellow daisies and red roses. There were white lilies and blue asters, dark-eyed pansies, and even some light green leaves, pink and purple, orange and gold. There were all of those colors. Anymore. Flowers filled all the vases, and the church wasn't so plain and simple anymore. Reverend Chavik spoke to the people while they listened, sitting quiet and still in their hard wooden chairs. These flowers are like ourselves, he said. Different colors and different shapes, different sizes, each needing different kinds of care, but each beautiful, each important special in its own way. When he was done speaking, the people talked a little bit among themselves, and then they each chose a different flower from the vases before they, kept, they went home. And that was all. It was beautiful and simple. Now, Tropic's church would work to provide sanctuary for refugees fleeing uh, the Nazis in the early and mid-1930s. Tropic himself would collaborate with Wheatstill and Martha Sharp, the origins of the Flaming Chalice, during their time in Prague. Now, the Sharps would be tipped off and escape the SS barely, leaving by train mere hours before the Gestapo would sack their offices. Now, Reverend Number Tropic, of course, would not be so fortunate dying in 1942 at Dakar. But not before ministering to his fellow concentration camp inmates, many of whom would later report his heroic compassion for even those who would eventually end his life. The flower communion ceremony he and the church developed 20 years prior would spread to the United States via his widow Maya, herself a Unitarian minister, in the period during and immediately following the Second World War. Now, it's appropriate to celebrate today with the sharing of flowers in a tradition that came out of Tropics Church, recognizing that the diverse bouquet formed from our individual contributions is more beautiful than any single flower could be alone. In community, we neither lose our distinct selves nor surrender to the identity of the whole, but in our voluntary and joyous association, create something greater than the simple sum of its parts. An arrangement of life and love that transcends both the individual and the collective, distinct yet connected, unique 
yet universal. But just as Tropic's ritual has people meeting with a different new flower, so too do we in this congregation have a, a similar responsibility, literally and figuratively. Whether it's, it's I or someone else in this pulpit, the words and deeds expressed in ritual are of little consequence if they do not affect the way we behave in the world. If we do not go forth from this place every week and seek to live our lives in accordance with our values of peace, justice, and love above all else, if we do not stand up for the oppressed or seek comfort for the afflicted from Monday through Saturday, then Sundays are but harborers of dubious egoism and this is where the flower communion is so apt for our purpose, that the ritual neither begins nor ends during the ceremony, begins long ago with the planting of a bulb or seed, sometimes by human hands, sometimes by the divine stroke of nature herself, culminates in the collective decay we have before us, and does not end until the collection is redistributed each taking a piece of this cosmic puzzle home. Likewise, these services on Sunday mornings are neither the beginning nor end of our commitment to our faith. We bring our flowers with us each week to mix with the communal energy and then, imbued with the love of this congregation, we take them to hold in our homes and hearts until we can return again. And though we, like these blossoms, are all temporary, each at a different place in our life's journey, each with different gifts and presenting different threads of the divine tapestry, our collective cry for peace and love and justice can ring eternal and reverberate through the ages. It might have been this sense of worth to which Chopik would refer when writing from prison awaiting transfer to Dachau and his almost certain martyrdom. He writes, quote, It is worthwhile to live and fight courageously for sacred ideals. O oh, blow ye evil winds into my body's fire, my soul you'll never unravel. Even though disappointed a thousand times or fallen in the fight and everything would worthless seem, I have lived amidst eternity. Be grateful, my soul. My life was worth living. End quote. So if we can see the flowers for the forest, as it were, if we can focus not on the individual call, but rather the universal message of our faith, whose form changes with the seasons, but whose content remains constant to dedicate ourselves time and again to choosing love over fear, then we will be living our faith. And I hope we do, for sake of all the souls of this world who need our message of love and compassion, who need our commitment to justice, I hope we can continue to live our faith day by day, choice by sacred choice, act of love by act of love. So it is in this spirit that we will begin our communion. I would invite our ushers forward.
grab the baskets, and then we're going to pass out the baskets, and I invite all of the assembled to take a blossom that is different from the one you brought this morning. I have lived amidst eternity. Be grateful, my soul. My life is worth living. May it be so. Blessed be. And amen.